Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and welcome to the penultimate installment of our mini-series around our H2 Outlook. Yesterday I spoke to Fukien about the opportunities and risks facing investors in equity markets. Today, I want to focus on the outlook for currency markets. And to do this, I have asked Manpreet Gill, who needs no introduction for regular listeners of his daily Cut to the Chase podcast, to join me. The first half of the year has been dominated by US dollar strength. Today, we will discuss whether this is likely to continue and also the outlook for the euro, yen and commodity currencies. Before we start, I wanted to just flag that we're having a live webinar on Monday, July 4th. This event includes a fireside chat with Professor Raghuram Rajan, who is a former IMF chief economist and former Reserve Bank of India governor. And we will discuss the long-term outlook for inflation, key financial imbalances we should be worried about, the regulatory outlook for cryptocurrencies, and also the future of India and China. Obviously, you'll also hear from Standard Chartered CIO office on how you might position your portfolios given the opportunities and risks facing investors going into the second half of the year. Attendees will also get the chance to ask questions to all the speakers. If you're interested in registering for the event, you can do so at www.sc.com slash GMO or Global Market Outlook, or just click the link in the description of the podcast. With that, let's get started and talk about the outlook for currencies. So, Manpreet, let's let's start with the short-term outlook. Um, I, I guess the strength of the US dollar has surprised us so far this year. Has it got further to go? Um, hi, Steve. Um, I think, that, yes, the dollar has certainly been uh, unusually strong uh, for a large part of this year. Um, but when we take sort of a short-term outlook, looking out, looking out to the next few weeks or indeed over the next one to three months, uh, there is a risk we see that the dollar stays in a range or potentially even strengthens, strengthens a little bit further. And, you know, our long-term views, of course, on the dollar notwithstanding, I think there are two reasons why we do hold that view, uh, besides, of course, uh, strong momentum and, and the nature for currencies to overshoot. First is, of course, um, what we're seeing from the central banks. Uh, I think while a lot of rate hikes are priced in uh, you know, for the Fed, I think we've seen a consistent stream of hawkish messaging from the Fed, uh, while you know, messaging from the ECB in terms of the interest rate hiking cycle has not quite caught up in terms of uh, its level of, uh, of hawkishness. So I think that's one factor, uh, together with an extremely dovish Bank of Japan, of course, that's sort of uh, you know, been su- supporting the dollar. Uh, and the second, of course, is demand for safe havens. I think we've seen a fair amount of risk aversion persist uh, through a large part of the year so far. Uh, and that, of course, continues to offer at least some level of support for the dollar. So I think uh, unless we see a significant change in either of those drivers, there's a risk that what we're seeing be re- currently in terms of a range-bound dollar with, with clearly still a strong upward bias, that's likely to persist unless either of those two factors change. And that's why even though we're bearish on the dollar long term, on a shorter one to three month horizon, we retain a more neutral view, uh, clearly with more of a bullish bias. Um, I would highlight that on the DXY dollar index, I think 105.8 is really the key level to watch in the short term because uh, that has been the most recent peak that's capped the dollar index for now. Uh, and I think if that does hold, I think that'll you know, help support the view that you know, the dollar index, of course, is staying in the range uh, and just testing those levels. But of course, a more sustained break above that could extend the short-term bullishness uh, for the short, short term at least. Okay, so you, you sort of hinted at the, the dollar weakness views holding for the 6 to 12, 12 months outlook. So can you give some indication as to where euro might be trading in 12 months or so? 
Well, in the euro, I think, uh, you know, we could see a, a, quite a mirror image of what we expect on the dollar. So I, I think, you know, our view on the pair is that we do end up seeing it go to above um, to 1.08 or potentially even a little bit higher in 12 months time. Uh, but a lot of that, of course, is just, you know, the dollar view. So you think on the US dollar, for example, we do expect, like I said, for the dollar to be weaker 12 months, because when you start looking out 12 months, then you're really talking about, um, you know, both what, you know, relative interest rates are likely to look like. Um, and of course, you know, what what we see on the European side as well. So our, our expectation 12 months, of course, is that the, you know, hawkish Fed cycle is largely in the price, uh, but there's quite a bit of room for expectations on the European side uh, or even on the Japanese side at a stretch uh, should yield curve uh, control not continue uh, for those to catch up. And I think that combined with expensive valuations on the dollar side is what caused us to have that bearish view. And the euro dollar, of course, uh, you know, it's it's close to two thirds of the dollar of the DXY index, just under 60%. So that, of course, we expect will be to a large degree a mirror image of that. And what that means in the short term, we could see a test, of course, of 1.034 support, um, given a short term view on the dollar. But 12 months out, of course, looking for 1.08 or potentially even a little bit more than that. Okay, so um, that's the euro. So in terms of elsewhere, where do you see the biggest opportunities You know, in terms of buying currencies against the dollar? Obviously, timing is important, but where do you see the biggest opportunities uh, going forward? Well, in terms of opportunities to go long currencies, I think the, the biggest opportunity in our view still sits in commodity currencies. Um, and there are really two reasons for that. I think uh, one is there one group of currencies that continue to display quite a large gap with where commodity prices are. Uh, and that's something we can see in their sort of terms of trade where export prices of commodities have continued to rise quite a bit this year. And second is that in today's environment where there's a lot of concern about you know Fed rate hikes, these are a pool of currencies that are being supported by their own rate hikes, uh, by their own central banks in, in today's you know rate-sensitive world. Now, from amongst the big three, I call them the, the Aussie, the, the Kiwi, and the Looney. Uh, arguably, the Aussie dollar has the most room to catch up on both of those drivers. Um, and if we do see a, an ongoing rebound in China's economy, as we expect, I think that, if anything, can add um, a, 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 you know further upside to that view. And the Canadian dollar, of course, being quite interesting because it's more correlated to oil prices, <clears throat> which, of course, are at the center of many concerns uh, on the inflation and central bank side today. So I think between the group, I think those are two that do stand out even within that on a relative basis. Um, and of course, in terms of levels, when we're looking out 12 months for the Aussie dollar, we do expect to move to about 73 cents uh, um, against the US dollar and for the dollar CAD pair, a move lower toward 1.25. So on the long side, I think those, that's the opportunity which really stands out. Um, there's, of course, uh, often questions asked about, you know, whether opportunities on the funding currency side. Um, here, of course, I'd be a little bit more careful. I think it's always important to, to try, by and large, you know, try and match assets and liabilities as far as possible. And if you're going to deviate from that, keep those short term in nature with good risk control. Uh, but if we had to take any sort of short term bets, of course, I think it's the euros where we'd really do that. And that it fits into the short term conversation we had earlier. It's I guess that's a great segue into what I was going to talk about next, which is obviously the yen. So uh, no conversation about currency markets today would be complete without talking about dollar yen, given the, the size of the move we've seen so far. Uh, clearly looks extremely stretched. Um, but then again, we could have been talking exactly the same conversation last last month. So uh, how high can dollar yen go? I mean, 147 is, I think, is the, the highest level we were, we've been for, you know, on a multi-decade basis. Can we get back there? 
Well, you certainly can't rule it out. It's, it's like you said, I mean, it's a conversation we could have had, a, you know, it's identical conversation a month ago, just at a very different level of Japanese yen. Um, but I think more seriously, I think the, the key point here is that as long as we get this extreme divergence between the Fed continuing to harp on its hawkish message on one side and the Bank of Japan sticking to its yield curve control line on the other, um, it does look likely that dollar yen will continue to grind higher. And I think... Uh, you know, record highs notwithstanding, I think on a more foreseeable horizon, we'd really look towards, you know, 139 to 140 uh, as the more plausible outcomes on a shorter horizon. Um, but I think that the, what makes uh, investing in, in the end quite challenging is that, as you mentioned, positioning is one-sided. So what that means is, if any of those conditions change, the risk of, the, of a snapback uh, and a very large one at that is potentially very, very large. Um, and of course, you could argue that happens because the Fed sort of either steps back from its extreme messaging or we get some sort of unexpected outcome from the Bank of Japan in terms of its existing yield curve control policy uh, <clears throat> or even that you know policymakers follow through at some point uh, in terms of intervention in FX markets. And, and all of these, at the end of the day, create large risks in our view. Uh, of moves in both directions. Um, and, you know, where that leaves us, of course, is, um, you know, when you end up with the possibility of such large moves, I mean, our 12, own 12-month forecast is 126 now in six to 12 months' time. In our view, that just leaves us with a very poor risk-reward uh, on this currency pair alone. So quite a wide range of outcomes. Uh, I think as long as current policy messaging persists, it, it's higher for the pair. But I think we just need to consciously be on watch for an equally large move on the downside should some factor change. And that's why when it comes to directional trades, at least, we just think this makes for better risk reward to look elsewhere rather than just on the on the yen. Yeah, and I guess the Japanese authorities are under, so Central Bank in particular is under some pressure at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how they react to that. Okay, finally, not 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 really a currency. Some people treat it as a currency, but I think we should talk a little bit about gold. So obviously talking to Audrey um, about this last week, but can you give a sense of likely, likely trajectory over the next six to 12 months in terms of levels for the gold price? Sure. I think uh, on the gold, um, I think when you look at the short term of the next one to three months, I think it's quite possible that we spend some time in a range. Um, I think the key levels around that are about 1775 on the downside and 1875 on the top, because uh, I think that sort of fits in with our view on some of the key drivers as well. Um, I think it's been quite remarkable, of course, that gold has held up quite well, despite higher bond deals and a stronger dollar both of which would have normally pointed to much lower gold prices. Uh, but I think if we're getting sort of yields uh, being range amount, of course, still testing an upside bias and the dollar, of course, potentially being higher uh, in, in the short term, I think those are what are likely to keep you know gold in, in some degree of a range, at least over the next one to three months. Um, unless, of course, we get a, a risk of episode, in which case, you know, we know gold does perform well in the short term as a risk hedge. Um, Longer term, though, I think we, we st- it, it's still reasonable to expect prices to grind higher towards $1,960. Um, and I think in the previous cycle, of course, you know, our view on falling bond deals was a key driver of coal. But I think in this cycle, we really expect that, that turn lower in the US dollar um, to be the key driver and really pick up where bond deals left off. Um, and I think the last point I'd make is that from a portfolio perspective, of course, you know, inflation is, of course, the main risk today. And I think that's where gold also has had some demonstrated impact as, as one potential inflation hedge as well. So that combination, we think, you know, uh, still does make it quite attractive when you're taking a six to 12 month view. Okay, thanks, Manpreet. And, and thank you, listener, for joining us today. Um, tomorrow, I will be talking to Hannah Chu about how a multi-asset income investor might approach the current investment climate. Uh, just as a reminder, if you'd like to sign up to our H2 Global Market Outlook webinar, please click the link in the description. In the meantime, please take care and stay safe. 
Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.